0: Man, it's so good to see everybody. We're so glad you're in charge. You can go ahead and uh, find a seat where you can. And man, baptisms fire me up. Testimonies, seeing young people just give their life to to Jesus and then get baptized, seeing families come back to Jesus. Come on. How how many are grateful that it's never too late? to give your life to Jesus, for God to save your family. I mean, we have some powerful testimonies, even just talking about breaking generational curses or generational tendencies. that have been. Man, they're saying it stops with me. That's powerful. That's powerful. I said this just a moment ago, but it's really powerful in the book of Revelation. It says that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb, that's the sacrifice of Jesus, and by the word of our testimony. That that right there, testimony, is the power to duplicate, which means if God can do it in them, then God can do it in me. So if you connect with any story that was on stage today, that, that testimony is now the power of God to do that same thing in you, whether that's saving your family, your marriage, your children, and, uh, and we're believing for that today. I, I, I say this all the time, but I... When we come together as the church, we really believe this, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And so I believe God has something special for us today, and nobody cares who's playing in the Super Bowl today, so we have all day. I mean, maybe there'll be some good commercials. We'll definitely have some good food, but who cares about the teams in there? Anyways, hey, I, I have a word for you today. I want you to go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, Old Testament, uh, book of Exodus. I, I actually... I'm not a huge title guy but I was like putting a bunch of different titles on this on this message and then this is finally what I settled on. We won't go unless you go with us. We won't go unless you go with us. Exodus chapter 33 verse 12 says Moses said to the Lord, "You have been telling me, lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is leading 3 million Israelites across the wilderness to the promised land. He's probably like already sick and tired of them. He's like, "Hey, you told me to go, but I'm going to need some reinforcements. These people are crazy." He said, "I I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you." Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We won't go unless you go with us. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go With us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses in the book of Exodus is attempting to lead some of the most stubborn people across the wilderness into the land that God has promised and maybe you've heard uh, in studies or in your own bible reading the promised land. This is the land that God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and was bringing them into Moses is on his way to lead them and 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 what we didn't read is in the first verses of this chapter is a discourse with God and Moses about the rebellion of his people. And God has had enough. He's, he's, he's fed up. He calls them a rebellious and stiff-necked people. Uh, when God starts calling you stiff-necked, it's just like, that's insulting. Uh, he's, he's like, I, I have had it. He said, but nevertheless, I said, I will give you the promised land. So I will give it to you. But I'm not going. This is what God says in Exodus 33. He says, I'm going to give you what I promise because I'm a... I'm, I am a man of my word. When God says something, he does something. There, there is no lie. He cannot lie. So he said, I promised you this land, so I'm going to give it to you, but I'm not going. In fact, in one scripture it says, I'm not going because if I go, I will destroy them. Like, Wow. God's like, I know my, I know my limits. And we're there. You ever been there with your kids? Like, okay, not, not one more thing. Not one more thing. And God's there with his kids. He's like, I, I can't go. I cannot go. I got to stay home because if I go, I'm going to ruin them. That's what he says. And that, that's where we pick up the, the story. And, and, and the problem with the people of Israel is they were, always, they were always getting stuck or getting infatuated or giving themselves to idols. Right, so just before this, if you remember this, the people of Israel, Moses goes up on the mountain. He's there for quite some time. And they get nervous, and they said, "We need a different God than the one that just brought them out of four hundred years of slavery. We need a different one." So they took their earrings and their necklaces, and they made a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. Now, I just want you to know this: any God that you can create is not a God. Any God that we can fashion from our own material is not a God that you want to serve. But yet they're they're serving him. Now I want you to know this. Each of us worship something. I, I know we're not probably making idols like they were making idols. I don't think anyone's melting down their jewelry to make a golden calf. And if you are, you need to stop that. It's not a good situation. But we got other idols like money or popularity we got other idols or things, and you say, well, that's not an idol to me. Let me, let me just clarify what an idol is or, or what worship is. Worship is whatever holds the most weight in your life. Because if your schedule is weightier than presence or with God, then your schedule will dictate that that's worship. Whatever's heavy on you in the area of priority that directs you, that guides you, family can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. Whatever bears the weight of your priority is the thing that you worship. I was just talking in the back with my buddy Phil and we were talking about this, about surrendering to the Lord and and he says he knows that there's things that he he just has to give to the Lord and we were talking about that and it's crazy that God's not asking for them to have them. He's asking for them so we get set free of worshiping something so small so that our worship can go to something so big and then usually he gives those things back. This is a God hack. Anything you hold on to, God says, I'm after. And you thought he was mean. God wasn't mean. He just loves you too much to let you settle for a golden calf for a God. I'm not going to let you settle for that little thing as your God. So I'm going to ask for that thing. And if you give me that thing, and you worship me, then I'll give you all the little things. I just don't want them to be your God. The Israelites had a problem, and this is what I call a problem uh, with cheap imitations. Cheap imitations. My my wife Jamie, she was a missionary in Thailand for years before we got married, and, and uh, we've gone back to Thailand so many different times, done mission trips. And, and the first couple of times to Thailand, I really I really had a good time because I realized that you could buy very expensive things in America for very cheap in the markets in Thailand. So you know, I was a young young man, and I had Louis Vuitton, I had Gucci. I mean, I just like I was just decked out. And there, I mean, it was like fifteen bucks. So I come back loaded from the mission trip. I mean, we were serving the Lord, but I come back. Man, I mean, I have the whole line, Louis suitcase, bag. I had the Gucci belt. The, the only problem was that the G sometimes would twist upside down. And my, 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 my Louis Vuitton kind of turned into Uui Vuitton because I, I lost some of the, I lost some of the, the letters because it, it wasn't really real. It's a cheap imitation of something that was real. You know how you can tell a, a imitation is usually in its durability. So, so the original has this ability to to make it to stay together for the zippers to keep working for the for the logo to stay on. But the the imitation is good as long as it's on the shelf. But as soon as you begin to use it, you realize how useless. It is. This is the same thing with our infatuation, our attraction, our attention, is that we will settle for something so small, some cheap imitation of presence. And it's great as long as it stays in the confine of your Sunday morning worship service. But that little cheap presence doesn't work in the trials of your life. There has to be something bigger that we experience here that is so big that it cannot stay here. But it has to go out there, and every day, and every moment, in my mountains, in my valleys, God is with me. Cheap Im- imitations. The, the, the presence of God is not just His, and I know what many of us think. We think, oh yeah, God's, God's everywhere. He is. He's omnipresent. God's everywhere, but He also manifests His presence. What that means is that that there's also like a special grace of his where God is God's doing. He's everywhere, but there's moments when God does something. And that's the presence that I want to talk about. That that's the presence that Moses says, I'm not going unless that goes with me. It wasn't like God was saying he wouldn't go at all. He said, oh, send his angel. It didn't. It wasn't as if God cut them off. But Moses said, I'm not content with just omnipresence. I need you close. I need you to walk with me in the desert. I need you to walk with me in the wilderness. I need you to walk with me in the ups and the downs. I need you to walk with me. I need you to walk out of the church and to my job. I need you to walk to my school. I, I need you to walk into my home. I need, I need you in every area of my life, every area. Verse 2 says, I will send you. We didn't read this, it's in the beginning of the chapter. It says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A lot of ites. <laughs> go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are, here it is, a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. God says, I'm going to send you my angel, but I can't go. A promised land ceases to be a promised land if you don't have his presence. You you could be living the best life that you ever could imagine yourself living with more money than you could ever imagine having, with more status than you could ever imagine attaining. And if you don't have presence, what's the point? This is what Moses is saying. He says, I can, I can get to the promised land, great, but I'm not really after the promised land. This is why Moses is so fascinating all throughout scripture, is that he really wasn't concerned with the promised land. In fact, he never even went into the promised land, and I wonder, I'm sure he wanted to go, but I wonder if it really broke his heart as much as he was so consumed with being where God was that if God's going to do something, he wanted to be there. He would make a tent of meeting. He would be before God. The Bible teaches us that Moses had this unique relationship with God where he would speak to him as a man speaks to another man face to face. He had, so he says, well, he says I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going if you don't go with me. I wonder how many places that we could go without God's presence and never even know that God's presence wasn't with us. Moses, I refuse to go anywhere. I call this the test of proximity. It's it's if I can have a little bit of Jesus and still do what I want, maybe I'll, if I can have His promises and He'll be like close, I'll take an, I'll take an angel. But the question really is like, how close do you want him to be? Given every other blessing is of no value if God is not. With you? What is the value of Canaan? What is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God was not with them? They saw that the realization of the presence of God, having this fellowship and company, was infinitely more important than anything else. The church has been infatuated with promise and we've neglected presence. I would rather live in the wilderness with the presence of God than be in the promised land without Him. I would rather be in a tough situation in life with God than in the best scenario of life I can imagine without God. His presence is what changes everything in my life. Verse 4, a couple verses down, it says, when the people heard these distressing words that God might not go with them, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments. What, what, what this means is that the people of God actually realized they did something wrong. They said, we pushed them too far. It's like go back to the parent example. Like when your kids actually know that now they have crossed over in the serious territory. They're like, okay, we, we know. My son Jude, my oldest, he says, I always know when you're serious because your eyes like do this crazy thing. <laughs> it came up because I was asking him. I said, hey, Jude, have you ever heard dad yell at you? Have I? I was just curious, like what they would say. And um, it's a dangerous question to ask you kids because they're very honest. And I said, Have you ever heard dad yell at you? And uh, he says, No, but your eyes do that crazy thing when you get mad. <laughs> what? My cr- crazy thing? She's like, I don't yell, but I have, a, I have crazy eyes, I guess. That happens. You know, you know when you've crossed the line. The people knew that they had crossed the line. And so this is their response now. They take a stance or a posture of repentance. I want to teach you about the presence of God. Because there, is, there are ways to experience more than omnipresence. But to actually experience manifested presence. And it starts with a bad word in our Christian churches called repentance. R- repentance is not God condemning you for something that you've done. Repentance is God illuminating something that gets in the way of you walking in the freedom that he has for you. If you're not careful, religiosity and legalism will taint what repentance actually is, and you'll hate repentance, but you don't understand that repentance is actually God's love. And his love reveals something in you that's in the way. Of complete freedom in Him. So when God asks for something, it's not, I can't believe you're asking for it. It's, thank you, Jesus, that you illuminated something that is getting in the way of me experiencing the fullness of who you are. Repentance. Repentance. It's turning away. I, I just wonder if maybe some of the reasons that we don't experience the manifest presence of God is we've tried to throw out Repentance. Do you know that when you get closer to Jesus in his presence, he begins to illuminate things that are wrong. And that doesn't have to feel bad or shameful or condemning. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit never makes you feel like a bad person. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit provokes you into a place of repentance where you get to feel the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It is so beautiful. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone. You've made. It doesn't matter if you've cursed at God, turned your back on God. When you turn towards Him, there is no condemnation, but you get to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus that draws you into loving relationship repentance is such a big deal because we never do it 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 has to be some just outrageous thing some of the just biggest sins and then we repent but you know if you live the lifestyle of repentance repentance becomes very easy Repentance is not me staying low, I'm terrible. Repentance is me staying low, being humble. Saying, God, if there's anything that's in me. This is what David prayed in Psalm 51. He says, give me a broken... And contrite heart. He said, creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. You know what he's doing? He's repenting. After he had just sinned with Bathsheba, he had committed adultery, he had committed murder. And now he says, God created me a clean heart. He was repenting before God. And you know what's interesting is that the Psalms are chock full of scriptures about God's presence. I don't think it's a coincidence that David was a repenter and he was also obsessed with God's presence presence. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 3 verse 19. This is the the, the secret of the manifest presence is the repentance of sin. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 it says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. This is awesome, but most people stop right there. So we've created entire denominations and entire camps around we're a repentance church. Well, can we read the rest of the scripture? Now, there's a whole other group of churches that never read the first part. They don't know where repentance is. We're just like, can we just stay in refreshing? I just want to be in the refresh. No, no. This is all, this is all connected. It, he says that you would repent, that you would return, so that your sins may be wiped away. In order that times of refreshing may come, where? From the presence of of where does refreshing come from? From the presence of the Lord. How does that refreshing come? By repentance. This is a secret to manifesting the presence of God. That we would repent and that refreshing would come. Most of us think like, man, I'm going to repent and I'm going to go home feeling terrible. No. No. You are serving a legalistic religious God. It's repentance that brings you into let me say this way. If you ever had a hard time worshiping, you probably haven't been repenting. Because when you repent, it identifies areas that's keeping you from God. And when you repent or confess those things, God forgives you. And when he forgives you, you're grateful. And when you're grateful, you worship. So some people have a hard time of worshiping because they just want to worship, but they don't want to repent. Some people want refreshing, but they never repented. But could it be that God maybe arranged all of it to actually work together? That there shouldn't be seeker churches and spirit churches and repentance churches and refreshing churches and Bible churches and experienced churches? Maybe the Christian life is supposed to be woven together by the context of theology and the biblical boundaries of our beautiful life that leads us into holy repentance, that leads us into beautiful, refreshing, and supernatural power. Maybe it's all supposed to go together. Just because some Christian made repentance look bad to you doesn't mean that we can avoid it as it's written all throughout the scriptures. Repentance is actually beautiful. And it is the beginnings of refreshing. Refreshing always follows repentance. We need His presence more than ever before. We, his presence awakes us spiritually. His presence draws us. His presence frees us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We, we need we need his presence. Not just talking about it. Not just singing about it. We need to know as a believer. Not just pastors. Not just, we need to know how to access the presence of God. This is not just for people that work at, at churches in your business, sir. You need the presence of god in your life ma'am you need the presence of a single mom you need the presence of god dad walking through a divorce you need the presence of a broken hearted one you need this is not supposed to be for our gathering together the presence of god is for our day to day life so if i want to access his presence it starts with repentance and second one is the refusal to live without him you see both of these in the text you see first of all the people repented god says i'm through with you if i go with you it could be bad it could be bad we might have to add another book in the old testament because of what i'm about to do but so the people immediately they repent they, they repent they they say i will not i'm not i'm not wearing those That jewelry or these ornaments, I I am repenting before you. And then there was a stance or a posture that Moses took, and he says, We will not go without you. Honestly, pretty bold, right? Usually, like, whatever God says, you should just, like, Yes, sir, right? God says, Hey, I'm going to give you the promise, and I'm going to send you an angel. If I go, I might kill you. All right, yeah, sounds good. Just send the angel. I'm I'm easy. I don't want to die. Moses says, May I say one more thing? Don't send me with that angel. I have to have, Let me just put it in our context. Don't send me with some cheap imitation of presence. Don't send me with a knockoff. Don't send me with knockoff theology. Knockoff knock, knock off experiences. Knockoff worship. I will not go. Unless you give... When a people get that posture before this God... There are things that begin to happen that you cannot even explain. Bodies being healed. People being saved. A city being turned upside down. Things begin to happen when the people decide we will not live without the presence of God. We refuse to go without him. Last week on Wednesday... Asbury University in Kentucky. They're having just a normal chapel service. Normal chapel service. Normal people coming to chapel. At Asbury University, it's required that you go to chapel. So there's some people there that wanted to be there. A lot of people there that didn't want to be there. Average band. No special speaker. Normal chapel. From 10 to 11 we go about our day, not like ten years ago. Wednesday at eleven o'clock, when chapel was supposed to end, they look around and nobody left. They could sense something. When they interviewed some of the students, they asked them like, "What did you feel?" And they're like, "We don't really know, but we just felt like, I guess you would call it the presence of God." So they kept on worshiping, 12, 1, through lunch. Now it's getting around campus. People started coming to check it out. And when they would walk in the doors, this is one student reported, when they'd walk in the doors, they would begin to weep, like cry. And they didn't, they didn't know why. And then, this is crazy, you can look it up. It's, it's, it's on the news all over Kentucky because University of Kentucky students started driving over to Asbury. Because they heard what was happening on Wednesday. One of the news reporters interviewing a girl, and, and she, he says, what, what, what was happening in there? What's going on? She said, I don't really know, except students would come to the front, and they would kneel down, and they started confessing sin. They started repenting. She says, and the only other thing I can think of is there's a group of us students that my freshman year, she's a junior now, my freshman year, we just made a commitment that we were going to pray for an awakening on our college campus. So in 2020, we started praying, and we have not stopped. Whew. That was Wednesday. Last night, they were on their 106th straight hour. They've gone through the night, the last, whatever it is, five five nights, It has not stopped. People are flying in now from all over the nation. I talked to people in California yesterday that are boarding flights today, and they're going to Asbury University in Kentucky. They're standing room only. Now it's all generations, young people, old people, all gathered. There's no room all through the night. The staff of the school doesn't know what to do, so they're bringing in water for everybody. They're serving water bottles like they serve communion. Just, they're going down the aisles just giving people like Doritos, like you need something. This kid, he was sponsored by his church to go to Asbury University and get his degree in, for ministry. And he records a video back to his church home. He says, I don't know how to explain this. Other than you can sense God's tangible presence... He said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He says, I just want you to know. And he's talking to his to his church. He says, that what God's doing here, God wants to do everywhere. And then he says, I gotta go get some sleep. I haven't slept for like three nights. He's been he's just been out there. they haven't been leaving the chapel. It's one thing when we tell stories of like back in. It's another thing when we're sitting here right now, and it's like they're right, they're here, they're right now. I was texting with our EOC staff last night, and I'm like, this is, see, I, all the older people in the room, maybe you get this, like, if you've been in church, there's times when God begins to do something, and you need to act on it, because you can either watch it, or you can be a part of it, and so I said, I'm like, what are we going to do, guys, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, so tonight at 10 p.m., we're, we're having a prayer meeting tonight, hey, right here, right here, you guys can come if you want anybody's invited, we're calling young people old people, we're we going to just seek the face, 10pm, 10 10pm 10 we're well, just calling the wild ones, the radical ones, and we're going we're gonna to seek the face of God, I was texting with Chase and Lindy in California, and they're like, we're going to do the same thing we're, we're gathering people in Ohio State they're gathering, now they've heard there are countless universities now are gathering students to begin to pray, something's happening Something's happening. This is one of those that in a couple years, you'll tell people, I remember when that. Or you can be one of those that say, I refuse to live without it. God, if you're doing it there, you're probably doing something. And there's a reason why you're doing it. I, I, want, it, I want it here. I want it right now. I want it in, in, in my life. I'm actually sending some of our staff. To, they fly out tomorrow. I see you're going to Asbury. You're going to go gonna go see what's happening. Pastor John's going. He's like, I'll go. I'm like, let's go, man. Get, get, some, get some crazy other men of God with you and just go. He's like, the flights are expensive. I was like, yeah, they, they are. <laughs> go anyways. And they're going. They're going tomorrow. Because when God begins. I don't want to knock off Christianity. I don't want to knock off church. We've said it for almost a decade. We're settling for nothing less than city transformation and friends that starts with us walking and experiencing the manifest presence of God. What would happen if a people said, I won't go unless you go with me. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to school. I'm not living another day unless your presence goes with me. What could happen if a people caught this cry? Every denomination, every group of people, from the Baptist to the Pentecostal, say, we want your presence. We want your presence. We want your presence. stand up if you're not standing already. Don't make these guys feel alone. Man, I'll feel the presence of God. Acts Acts chapter 4. It's interesting. New Testament. Church, early church is breaking out. Peter and John are preaching everywhere. It's crazy. They get arrested. It says in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. What an insult. How did they realize that? They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What will distinguish us from the other nations? What will set us apart, oh God? Peter and John got it. Unschooled, ordinary men. But they said the only thing we can figure out is they've been with Jesus. When was the last time somebody asked us what's different about you? Why? Who are you? What's happening? What? What? We maybe we just maybe we just haven't carried presence like we should have. Maybe we've been willing even to have a little bit of knockoff Christianity. As long as we still get our promise, as long as we still feel better about ourselves, as long as we still... I, I'm telling you, God's raising up a group of people, not just, in... know, I'm telling you around the nation that are just saying what Moses said, we will not go unless you go with us. I got to stop in a second. Gen Z, the next generation, has been so written off I mean, every generation, it's like a continuing narrative, right? Remember when it was millennials? All the millennials, the most biblically illiterate generation we've ever seen. And then it was, you know, and then on and on. It's, it's been this way forever. The next generation is always under attack. I don't know when we're, when we're going to stop being surprised at what the devil does. He does the same playbook every time. He's after the young people. Do you know who's leading Asbury University? The young people that we wrote off that said they're biblically illiterate, they're leaving church by the droves they can't kick them out of the chapel because when you experience the real thing nothing can stop you, and nothing can make you leave that place of presence, and I believe it's coming in Allen, in Frisco, in Wiley, to DFW, a wave of awakening that will capture our heart and change our lives.